Hi, I'm Michael White from Lean Towards Joy. This is the podcast that talks about just that, how leaning towards joy can change every part of your life. In this five-part series, we will be chatting with therapists that have made the transition from an agency setting to their own private practice. Some have thriving private practices, some have opened up their own agencies, and some have joined online platforms. The one thing that they all have in common is that they too were once newly licensed and faced with the decision to go out on their own. This series will discuss what helped them make that transition to private practice and what tips or lessons they can share with the rest of us. So if you're a newly licensed therapist or looking to move in your career, then this episode's for you. Even if you're not a therapist, these stories transfer across multiple industries. These are people that lean towards their joy, followed their passion, and are shining their light. Today, I'm excited to have a conversation with Katie LaBelle. She created Healing Journey Counseling, a private practice in Somerville, Mass. Katie is an LMHC with a background in yoga psychotherapy and neuroscience of trauma. She works with a wide range of clients exploring the relationship between our minds and our bodies. Her unique approach helps empower people to change the outcome of their experience by recognizing the thoughts and responses to those experiences. I was fortunate to have met Katie five years ago when she started building her practice, and I'm really excited to have her on today discussing how her practice has grown and hear her story of how she got from a newly licensed therapist to having a thriving private practice. So Katie, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Look forward to speaking with you. Yeah. Um, so I guess I want to get started because we have a lot of listeners that are either newly licensed or have had some sort of, you know, life event that wants to, you know, and they want to shift into private practice or change how they run their private practice. So I just love to hear a little bit about your early stages of, you know, getting into your, you know, your private practice and kind of, you know, the catalyst for starting that. Um, that's a good question. I started so right out of graduate school. I started at an agency as an in-home therapist. So in agencies, generally, you're there for about two years. So I was there for about three and a half years. And when I hit the three-year mark, I was like, okay, you know, it's time to move on. There were, I think there was one lifer, but it's, it's generally, it's not something that's sustainable, especially if, you know, you have more expenses, if you decide to, you know, buy a house or have children or you know, whatever your next step in life is. So, uh, you know, there wasn't a particularly a catalyst per se. It was more like I've always wanted to go into private practice. It was just a matter of when. And then how do you do it? So, um, but ultimately, you know, the push agency life is tricky. It's the hours are are tough. And you have to go by the model of whatever the agency is going for. Mine particularly was ARC. So um, the attachment regulation and competency model, it's um, a trauma model that's based in you know, adolescents primarily and children. So there was a lot of family work, which is definitely a tough thing. A lot of tough cases because they were mass health primarily. So uh, Department of Children and Families was involved. There was just a lot of team, which was really nice because you were connected to a lot of people. And when you go into private practice, it's you. 
And, you know, you have to find that community very actively. You're not going into work and building friendships. And that's just a much more active thing that you need to do or not do. It kind of depends who you are and what you need. Um, so ultimately, there there was also a huge, for me, there was a huge driving component as well. So you're just on the road constantly. No, was that to the agency or was that to each, like, um, to the client's homes? To the client's homes. Yeah. So it would be the client's homes and to the agency, a lot of back and forth. You would, what was great is like, you would have a support staff with you. So it would be the two of you. So that was really nice to collaborate. And again, like you don't have that as much. You have to engineer that. If in your private practice, like if you want to have groups and have a co-leader or you create a supervision group or just individually, you know, um, so there is a huge difference, but I, and then the compensation piece is, is very, very different. Um, but so there are definitely, um, give and takes to this. But, you know, going from there to private practice was big. So I started exploring group practices. Uh, But the compensation for that was not, was low as well. And you wouldn't get health insurance. So it seemed one of those, okay, if I'm not going to get health insurance, which is a huge expense, you know, why don't I just start my own thing and figure it out? Yeah. So it was more a gradual kind of thing where it was like, all right, you know, it's time. I'm not, I'm not growing the way I want to. It's just was more of a feeling. Yeah. Um, With the kind of that transition and, you know, and, you know, the compensation piece being part of it, um, did you kind of go out already paneled through the insurance companies and say, I'm going to keep taking insurance? Did you, um, you know, get, was there, was there any a time where, you know, you thought like, oh, maybe I'll do private pay someday or, you know, how did that kind of work with, cause I know you're insured, you're on panels now, correct? You take insurance? Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's a good question. So that's definitely something to think about. I feel like a lot right now, there's a push towards going off yeah. panels mm-hmm. because uh, navigating it is so tricky. And you often don't get paid or get paid or have to challenge them, or they can all of a sudden, three years later, decide, you know what, you didn't give the services you were supposed to, and then ask for the money back. So it doesn't happen often, yeah. but I've heard. So, you know, I don't, and some companies will audit more than others, and it's just a tricky business, but they... The good part about being on panels is that I feel like my services are accessible to more people Mm -hmm. and I can help more people. Yeah. And um, I'm an LMHC, so I can't get on Medicare Mm -hmm. or Medicaid. So for whatever reason, that's a systemic thing that hasn't changed, but um, LICSWs can. Yeah. So that's a bummer. Mm -hmm. But you know, certain thing, there are certain panels that are easier um, to work with than others. Their compensation is different, but, you know, and the decision to do that was one 
to be able primarily to be accessible to others. And yeah, then too, it just felt somehow it's probably a completely psychological, but it felt more pressure on myself when it was private pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's, um, you know, I definitely I've, I've chatted with people um, who have gone the, you know, the exclusively p- private pay route and um, you do you do lose, you know, the accessibility component to it. You know, there's a lot of you can depending on your insurance, you know, if you can get a super bill from that um, therapist and, you know, you can still put it through your insurance, but there's not a, a lot of people that, um, you know, depending on your insurance, not everyone can do that. So um you know, I definitely can understand that, but yeah, those um, those clawbacks when they, they come back to you like three years later, and they're like, "Actually, we're you know we're gonna need that seven hundred dollars back." <laughs> um, exactly, it does get like tricky. that hasn't personally happened to me, luckily. Yeah, uh, but you know, those are chances you're taking, but they're also you're also it's free marketing on some mm-hmm. level because your name are you know is listed on these insurance panels and i'll have clients call up me like i found you from blue cross blue shield Mm -hmm. from their website i found you from the tufts website yeah so that from a marketing standpoint it does it for you yeah and it's nice too um there is nice too if like you can you know there, there are certain um restrictions to being able to um you know, if someone has, say, Blue Cross Blue Shield or something, you can't say, like, I'm only going to take you as private pay. Like, obviously, if they have the insurance, you take the insurance. But, you know, if there is, um, you know, within your practice, some that are private pay and some that are not, because even with insurance, ultimately, they do still dictate what your wages, you know, like, I, I remember yeah. being surprised with um, when my wife, she doesn't take insurance now, but she did. When I was like, you just, they just took 70 cents, like this year, they decided you were worth 70 cents less an hour. I'm like, what, like who, who decides these things? (laughs) Like, I would imagine you have one more year experience. You should be, you know, more than that. So, you know, there, it's still way more than agency life, but, um, you know, there is still that, you know, that component to it. Um, it adds up. Yeah. And what they value is it's like with the couples and family, they significantly pay you so much less when, you know, clinicians, I would say on the whole argue it's, it's harder work because you're trying to balance and get it right. You got a lot of personalities in the room with a lot of opinions, a lot of big feelings, and you're trying to navigate. How do I help? Mm-hmm. Um, when you went on, you know, when you decided, okay, I've had enough. There's, you know, all these things are kind of stacking up. It's time to to go out on my own. Did you take a giant leap and say, like, I'm leaving the agency and I'm going to go into private practice and let's see what happens? Or did you start by, like, taking, you know, one or two clients on and, you know, from, from you know, just kind of do it a little bit at a time? Um, I personally couldn't do that. Like, just my just my energy level. I'm on more of the lower energy level side. So I knew and I needed time to recharge because agency life is very emotionally draining. Mm -hmm. And so when you're present with people and really putting your best foot forward, it takes a lot out of you. So me personally, I couldn't say take, you know, one or two clients on the weekend on Sunday or, um, or have the time to build a business then. Mm -hmm. So what I was more doing when I was at the agency, I was building the business part. 
versus meeting with clients because that was within what felt okay for me. Like what I, what I, so I could still serve clients the way I'd want to and be able to start moving it forward. That's so great. that's more. Yeah. And then I did, I did just jump eventually, but I felt like I was very, I was, I felt set up. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, okay, I don't have an in-between. Yeah. So but that probably I must have felt good. I got myself like stuff like that. Yeah. That must have felt good, just like even still having to go to the agency, even though you've made the decision, like, okay, I'm going to leave at some point, still being able to, you know, mentally be like, but I'm moving on to this other thing. So it must have made, you know, kind of those last days or, you know, months or whatever there a lot easier to kind of, okay, this isn't permanent. Like, you yeah. know, there's yeah. light at the end of the tunnel. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, and so then when I... you, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just, I completely agree with you. Absolutely. Um, when, so for, for the people that do like usually see like one or two on the side or something like that, usually they're, they're like subletting a space or they're using kind of, they know someone else that's already starting a private practice. They're, they're, you know, their afternoons are free. So they use their space in the afternoon, whatever it is. Um, because you kind of built the business part of it first and then said, okay, I'm going to take on clients. Did you, get your space first? Did you decide like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go lease a space. I'm going to work, do it from home. I'm going to sublet. Like, how did you, cause I would imagine, you know, this is pre COVID pre everything telehealth. Like I would imagine, you know, a lot of it was in person. Um, how did you kind of figure out the office part of it? Um, I, it's, I looked on Craigslist. What I found is there's a real gap in that there really isn't, I wish there was more of a directory of where you could go or people you could talk to. Same thing with like group practices. They don't advertise jobs in the traditional sense. It's like you're networking through your university or your, you know, your job for that matter, but more, more through, um, I'd say your university. Mm. And that's what I did. Um, or therapists that you know that you've built relationships with. Um, but I went on Craigslist. I know other people who cold called, you know, therapists they found in directories and were just like, do you want to sublet? Like, do you know if there's an opening in your building? So I started out um, by subleasing mm-hmm. from a woman part-time. So it was, and it was near, I was, I'm so lucky. It was very near my home. So mm-hmm. I, it's walking distance, but you know, uh, a lot of therapists wouldn't be okay with that either because you do sometimes see your clients in the community. Mm. And so there's, there's that choice as well. But to answer your question, I, um, I chose to sublease. Yeah. With, I would imagine, um, you know, coming from an agency specifically working, you know, with a lot of trauma cases and things like that, like, did you continue that line of work in your in your private practice or did you shift um to kind of having different a different you know demographic of clients it it, it sparked the question when you're like seeing people out on the street of like okay well you know there's different there's different levels of functionality here you know with with different clients and what they're going through and so um i i can imagine um you know that can be a little tricky so i'm just kind of curious where you ended up with with the clients you see now? So I kind of, I started out 
with more of the trauma piece, but then I kind of transitioned to, I generally more see uh, people who come in for anxiety and depression. And then as you work with them, it turns out there's been a lot of difficult experiences in their lives that have kind of um, compounded that have led them to these. So when, you know, if you're going from a diagnosis standpoint, you know, they would, they had a lot of what one could argue as traumatic experiences or that they identified as really difficult. Um, so you kind of trip into the trauma now, but in terms of people who come see me, it's, I work more with anxiety and depression and, um, my experience has been with children, adolescents and parents, and now with a lot of adults, because mm-hmm. you also get connected to uh, universities. And it's all, what I've noticed is they're all the same. Ultimately, it's a feeling. It's a feeling of feeling sad. It's a feeling of feeling anxious. The reasoning why is different. Mm-hmm. And so... But across the board, people are experiencing, you know, like muscle tension. People are experiencing recent thoughts. People are having difficulty getting out of bed. doesn't matter what age. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same symptoms. And it, it just kind of comes down to who feels comfortable with me because it's about the relationship. And that's what I realized, too. It's people I've, I've been asked, like, what is the population you work with or what do you prefer? Who do you prefer to work with? I've always found that tricky because it ultimately, you know, you want to work with people that you build a strong relationship with because those are the ones you can really help mm-hmm. and really help them. You know, ultimately it's to find peace within themselves. You know, when I first started in this profession, it's like, oh, I want your life to be better. Like I want it to be, you have more life satisfaction. And yes, I want that for them. And, you know, realistically, what we do is more like at peace with yourself, like you being okay. And when you're okay, then you can build a more satisfying life. Mm. So, you know, some of this, um, you know, on, on your, on your website, I can see you have, you have a lot of, um, information about just the mindfulness component of, mm-hmm. you know, of, of this and, I'm kind of wondering when that developed along the way in your private practice of like, um, you know, the yoga psychotherapy and, you know, kind of being, being aware of like, okay, it's like your, your mindset creates a lot of these experiences. Um, And is that something that kind of developed throughout the years in private practice? Or did you go in already with the, with, with that sort of philosophy? Well, um, I went into it with that philosophy and it gave kind of, as you're getting trained in that, it gave a name to it. Mm-hmm. So um, to give a little background, like I got certified as a yoga teacher. And with that, there's the asanas, the movement and the breath and being mindful of you're holding these you know, postures or you're sitting with yourself. And you're pulling your mind, your mind can go in so many places and you're challenging yourself to experience what you're experiencing in that moment. Mm -hmm. So that would be really helpful in grounding because a lot of what 
you know, the nature of psychotherapy historically has been talking. It's a very cognitive exercise. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then this brings in a different element. There's now more, as I said, there it's been named, but there is a much more um, push towards the reality of our experience, which is, you know, it's very much we experience emotions in our bodies. And if you can relax your body, your mind relaxes too. The racing thoughts slow down. You're able to talk to someone and be present and be able to hear them versus being so anxious that your mind's somewhere else and you can't even, you don't have the attention to do, you know, your work yeah, or have a conversation with another person, have a relationship and be present and see what actually is happening. So it's just, it feels like you can't do one without the other. Um, But what's interesting is it's that whole, there's the element of dissociation, the kind of separating the mind body piece, because we're taught to do that very early on. And that is valuable on some level Mm -hmm. to be able to do that. If you're um, an athlete, for example, like, and you're say at a track race. And you have to dissociate to push over that finish line. Mm. Because if you're present, like you're going to just give up because you're like, this hurts, man. I I, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Or if you have these really difficult experiences, you're like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. Like I need to go somewhere else. Yeah. So it's, it's tricky. It's interesting trying to find that balance. There's the mindfulness piece, which is definitely, and it's a scale that one can develop you know, through repetitions, but it's also important to recognize, okay, like this is something you, you developed early on because it, it was not a bad thing. Like you needed that. That was your survival skill. And so yeah. Yeah. But well, it's not, it's a, um, this conversation is a nice reminder of how this, even just what you just shared is so helpful to so many people on so many different levels. I'm like, Oh yeah, I can, I can see how that really, you know, um relates with my you know my my experience with with things um the you know I, with it with any you know um you know new thing but especially like a like a scary new thing of starting a private practice or leaving a job that you've been at for three and a half years um how how did you like were there like hurdles that you kind of weren't anticipating or were anticipating and kind of how did you navigate some of those things i guess first initially you know like oh i didn't think that this was going to be an issue and it is or i'm i'm afraid to go you know this part of setting up my private practice um versus like throughout the years how like has anything else come up because you know either with a client or with you know a supervisor or just you know anything along the way that you can think of that um, you know, was a hurdle that you either overcame or something you still kind of grapple with. That's interesting. Cause when you start a private practice, you're, you know, you're leaving a business structure, right? Like, however, the business is being run, say an agency or a clinic or say a group practice, like the, it's about you ultimately it's, you're like, this doesn't feel right anymore. This does not work for me. And so you're then jumping into something that helps others. So it's, 
like, okay, I need to build a business that works for me. And I want to figure out how to balance that with helping others. And I found that that was kind of tricky to navigate because you are, you're trying to make a living and you're doing something that you really, you care about others and you really want to help. And so I guess a hurdle was trying to find that balance between the two, which I think is very ongoing because there are such individual relationships with each client. So I don't know if it's something you necessarily can truly overcome. It's something you're constantly navigating, but it's just interesting because I would do my research. I'd watch, I'd listen and try to figure out. And I talk to people to try to figure out um, what do other people do? How do they navigate cancellations or, you know, rescheduling or like, what are other things you run into? You know, if people aren't able to pay or they, you know, the initial consultation, what does that look like? If you have a free 15 minute consultation, like, what does that look like? What is your goals? What are you hoping for? Do you even have that at all? Or do you, do you have people just, you know, show up? Mm-hmm. What is retention rates? Like, there's just all these hurdles that just show up that you don't even you don't expect, but it's also how large it is to you. Yeah. And then how much are, where are you? Cause you also want to be consistent too. Cause there is for people, oftentimes one comes to therapy because they're like, my life feels chaotic. I can't manage it. My emotions are really big because it just feels too much. And so by offering, you know, you're trying a hurdle and it's like trying to figure out boundaries. Like, okay, if you, I have a cancellation policy, do I, you know, if you don't show up, do we, do I charge you? Do I not charge you? Because there are life things that happen. But at the same time, you also are presenting something and want to follow through because the rest of their life is pretty chaotic and it things feel calmer when you ultimately, in a sense, have rules. Yeah. I don't know another word to use that, but it's kind of like, okay, when I go see Katie, this is what I expect. Yeah. It's the structure, you know? Right. Yeah. And that is, I think, comforting for people. Sure. It's annoying. Yeah. I'm sure at times you're like, Hey, I had this, you know, meeting I forgot about, you know, and I can't cancel it, you know, at work. And then as a therapist, you're like, Okay, like, you know, this other client who, you know, is a healthcare worker who, you know, I said no today, but their day off is today. Like they could have filled that spot. Yeah. And I could have supported them because they really had this really difficult experience, especially around COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's 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 just tricky because you also want to help people be more you know, mindful of their time or like, how do you do it? Do you navigate a discussion around, Hey, my job has pop-up meetings, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's, it's interesting trying to sort through what that all looks like. Yeah. And there's the, there's the, your, you know, your own personal, you know, work-life balance, you know, as well. If you're, if you're someone that like, you know, that, that the client example you gave of that, you know, how to work meeting, it's like, well, you know, you wanted to go pick up your kids from school or you wanted to go do this. And it's like, they were your only client that afternoon and you canceled what you had to do and then they canceled on you. You know, it's different if they're right. 
sick or you know something like that but yeah it is it's about kind of establishing a lot of those policies um you know ahead of time did you feel you know because one of the things with moving not even just from the agency from even even just your schooling you know they don't there's a lot of professions where they teach you within the schooling you know all the things that you'll have to know when you go out and you know one of the things that you know ultimately made me establish you know my business of helping people with like the business side of it is that they don't they teach you to go into an agency they don't teach you what's next and so and depending on the agency usually the agency isn't teaching you what's next either because they want you to stay in the agency like so they have all these systems in place like the policies and procedures that, that you mentioned but they also have like if someone's in crisis this is our response um you know you get supervision through this person um these are these are the technologies we use and here's how we stay within you know the guidelines of hipaa you know like all of these things that when you go out on your own you don't have that so have you kind of ever felt that you know there was one of these things that was a little you know tricky to navigate or did you kind of comes to mind about the the clients like you know that might be in crisis because it sounds like you you still worked with people with you know some trauma and things especially when you left that you know that can can show up a little bit more than some other demographics that's one of the reasons like i have pivoted from advertising myself as a trauma therapist Mm -hmm. and i think um because i as a private practitioner i can't offer that you know, like, and I say that at the beginning, like if you're in crisis and you need me in that moment, you know, it's 3am, I'm probably not going to pick up the phone. Like I will get back to you in the morning. So it's, I don't have the ability to be on call. Yeah. And so it, I just don't have the structure in place because it's just me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, that's the reality of what it is. You know, I've run into where a client has gone to, you know, an IOP program, you know, and so they, when you fill out the paperwork, they want someone to have an, you know, emergency contact in terms of a therapist. And I'm like, I, reality is, is I can't be that person. Like what, but I am their individual therapist. Like, how do you want me to work with that? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is tricky. Because they're also, you know, people do get in crisis and I do get concerned. I mean, there are always, you can call the police and get a wellness check, but then that's a tricky, like one would do that in agency, but as a private practitioner, like that's a tricky one to navigate because people could be angry with you. You're violating my privacy, but I, you know, it, but it depends on your relationship with them Mm -hmm. because other times a reaction could be, I'm really grateful. You really care about me. Yeah. You know, and it's true. It's like, I, you don't have to do that as a practitioner that's outside, but it's like, Hey, I care about you. I'm worried about you. Yeah. So it's really, you're taking chances, but you really more, you make the rules of what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. But as you know, as a mom, especially like, I can't do that now. Yeah. So it's just, if there is a real concern that I feel like the person needs more support than I'm able to offer, like I'll name that. Yeah. And I'm happy to help them to try to find something that is a better fit. And to, to kind of to your point of like that initial, um, you know, that like initial, um, 
you know, do you do a 15 minute intake on the phone first to kind of navigate the, you know, or, you know, actually, you know, set up a meeting with them and, and, and to, you know, part of that, I think, you know, is, it's important to, you know, make sure the chemistry is there between you and your client, but also to make sure that, you know, oh, this person looks like they're going to need more support than what I can offer, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, either like, you know, suicidal thoughts or, you know, like, you know, like things like that, that come up. Um, so I, you know, I guess in that initial, initial, um, interview process that that's definitely something to, to consider. It's also like, I feel like you can't always tell right away, but oftentimes with a conversation, I notice that you can tell more whether I can help this person, whether we're going to have a relationship because you know, some people do, they'll specialize and say like men. And then it's like, okay, you know, it oftentimes there may be, I mean, this sounds kind of biased and whatnot, but it's been, you know, anecdotal. And also like, there is an element of, I don't want to talk about it yet. I'm here in a psychotherapy room where the nature of it is talking. So some therapists have an approach of more supportive therapy where they're more listeners, but that's not going to work for someone who is not practiced in talking about feelings and talking about their experiences. Mm -hmm. So it really is getting a sense of like, is this person going to, can I build a relationship with them where they feel safe enough? And if, you know, they are practicing something it's kind of a skill building exercise on some level. It's like everything you got to get the reps in. Yeah. And so there's an element of that too, because they could have this really difficult experience that happened to them. And if they're not comfortable with you, they're not going to share it. And then they're going to suffer in silence. And then all of a sudden there's a real crisis there mm -hmm. and they're not comfortable enough. At it, and you're their therapist. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's really, you know, it's just all tricky to navigate. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you do your best, you know, you're in there, just plug in. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's, you know, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm, I'm doing a podcast like this There's like, there's a certain amount of, you know, that I can bring to help people. It's like, you know, you want to start an LLC or so prior, like, you know, work with HIPAA, like there's certain things that I can do and help, but I'm not in it every day, you know? And so it's like, you know, I can only when helping a therapist leave an agency and go into private practice, there's, there's only one piece that I can do, you know? And, and it's like, how can I help, you know, therapists try to like, you're never going to figure it all out all at once, but these are some real things that you do have to kind of work through at least like, okay, how, how would I approach that if something was to happen? Like, what would my, you know, procedure be if, if, you know, if a client went into crisis. So um, that's why it's so important to like, you know, for you to share, share all that. So I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. And there's going to be a lot of flavors of that, obviously. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and it, it depends on kind of what, you know, you, you're in private practice and you're on your own, you know, if you decide to do a group practice or something like that, then, you know, if you're building something, it's, you can build it differently depending on what, clients you decide you're going to work with and and um I, I know too it also depends a lot on like the area you know in terms of like is there a local hospital nearby that has kind of open beds that if you need to call them like you know they answer or are you in a very you know populated area and that's tricky to find because i know that that you know especially in our you know we're in a similar area um you know that can be harder to find is like open beds 
you know, for, for people, yeah. that, you know, that might need them. So, um, but I'll, I'll, for most people, it doesn't consume all of their private practice. It may come up once it may never come up at all, but you know, it is something that you have to, you know, kind of stop and, and think about. So. No, it is. It's it, yeah. And it's, I, it's, you know, they're different flavors yeah. and it's trying to, you're constantly trying to navigate that, but it's also balancing cases. Like how many of those cases can I take on too? Yeah. So as, as someone who left the agency five ish years ago, is that right? Um, happy you did it. Happy I did it. That was a good decision for me. Yeah. It definitely, um, it, it's not conducive to family life. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you have young kids, you have a routine, a, you know, bedtime thing, you have, you know, morning, like, it's just sometimes, you know, you, when you're an agency, you could work to eight or nine, yeah. you know, and that wouldn't be every night, but it's like, it's very inconsistent hours. Yeah. So it's for, for many, many different reasons, it was a good decision for me, but at that time, it definitely, it, it was valuable. Mm-hmm. You learn, you learn, you learn from other people and it's a good thing. That's great. Um, well, thank you. Um, before we kind of wrap up, is there, you know, where can people find you? Are you, you know, website, social, um, either as another, another therapist wanting to reach out or maybe a potential client that might be listening? Um, do you have a place where people can find you online? I think the best is my website at, you know, healingjourneycounseling.org. So it, you know, reach out. I love to help. I definitely, I feel like it's like the, you know, paying it forward type thing. I definitely got a lot of help and there's a lot of endless questions that we all have. And we're always going to have questions and we're always need to consult. And so if I can be helpful, I'd love to be helpful. Awesome. So don't hesitate well, to reach out. Thank you, awesome. Michael. Well, thank you. I want to thanks again, uh, K.O. Bell, once more for coming on. And, you know, I really enjoyed this conversation. All right. I enjoyed it as well. All right. right. Thanks, Katie. All right. You too. Bye-bye. That wraps up this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be having a conversation with a therapist who created a group practice and an environment that supports him, his clients, and the therapists that work in the practice. If you'd like to bring more joy into your life and connect with Lean Towards Joy, you can subscribe here or find us on social at Lean Towards Joy. You can also visit our website at leantowardsjoy.com. Thanks for listening.